We're all just looking for the right place to call home. And I found mine. Real sanctuary is where no one gets evicted and no one gets deported. And we realize as a people that the only way to survive is by taking care of one another. That was a snippet from the web series The North Pole, a political comedy about some of the most important issues affecting Oakland, from climate change to gentrification to threats of deportation. And I'm here with the director and co-writer of the series to dive into five songs from the North Pole's fabulous, locally sourced soundtrack. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Select Five, a series where I talk to culture creators from the Bay Area and beyond about five songs that matter to them right now. I'm Pam Torno, and every episode of Select Five is recorded in Bar Shiru, the Bay Area's first hi-fi vinyl listening bar. And I'm super thrilled because our guest selector today is Ivan Ituriaga. He's a film director and producer who's lived in Oakland since he was a teen, but he grew up throughout Latin America in the extended Chilean exile community. Uh, Ivan is also the director and co-writer of The North Pole, which is now in its second season. The series follows Nina, Marcus, Benny, and Finn, four friends living in North Oakland as they fight against displacement and deal with a literal climate that's getting warmer and a political climate that's growing more anti-immigrant. You can stream the entire series for free on YouTube. It's highly recommended for everyone who lives in the Bay Area and highly recommended if you're listening to this episode because it may contain spoilers as we dive into the soundtrack of it. Yvonne, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So in a nutshell, give us the origin story of the series and how it came to be. Um, I had worked for a while with um, Josh Healy, who's a co-creator of the show, and we had created smaller little videos that dealt with different kind of issues that were happening. So we made a video about the um, Keystone Pipeline. We made another one about the climate march in 2014. We collaborated with uh, Boots Riley on that one. And so we were doing um, these little comedy skits that were addressing social issues. As we kept growing, we were like, I, I kept pushing for kind of extending these and trying to go deeper into character and trying to uh, flesh out bigger stories, uh, which was uh, obviously we needed more funding for that, but also like finding support and collaborators. And he was working with a nonprofit called Movement Generation. And they work uh, in the intersection of climate justice and social justice. And they're big believers that um, in order to change the issues, we got to change the story, change the narrative. And so that's the partnership that we started developing. And we ended up um, creating this world with Darren Colston, Josh, and I um, based on the this metaphor. that. So when I came to the U.S. in 1995, in the late 90s, early 2000s, the nickname of North Oakland was the North Pole. And in hip-hop and everybody around me, you know, we were being called polar bears. If you were from the town from North Oakland, you were a polar bear. And fast forward uh, and trying to create a show that can address, you know, the changing climate and the changing environment. Yeah. That metaphor just fit perfectly because just how, you know, polar bears are being displaced in the actual North Pole because of the changes that are happening. So are the polar bears here being displaced because of the changes. So um, that was the birth, the, the initial idea. Uh, of the show. You have so many serious issues woven into the series, like climate change, you do really well, uh, gentrification, um, you know, the tech takeover of, of the Bay Area and Oakland. And it doesn't feel like a fictional series. It feels very much like real Oakland because it is real Oakland. But you're able to approach it all with 
with a lot of humor. It's a really funny series. It doesn't when I describe it to people, it doesn't sound like it's going to be funny, but it really is. So how do you how did you manage that? Um, I think it's it's actually a a, grow, a learning process, and definitely we had to fine tune um, this balance between. So Josh is really uh, drawn towards comedy, and I'm very much drawn towards drama. So it's a very collaborative um, process and a project that involves a lot of different people because we don't just come up with our own ideas. We definitely like source from our friends, from our community to mm -hmm. figure out, you know, it's based on real people's stories and then crafting a way to combine it with comedy, with humor, and then hit you with some serious issues. And I think it's a, it's an art to try and balance those two things. And I've learned personally as a very drama-based uh, filmmaker that I feel like comedy really opens you up. It really like breaks down your barriers and allows for more empathy. So it's almost like an evil mastery manipulation that we're doing here because if you just start laughing and then all of a sudden you get hit with a serious topic, I feel like you're going to feel it way more. And we've been trying to, not so purposefully, but like it's kind of the natural way that we do stories, but trying to combine those two things, hit you with a funny bone and then something uh, much more serious. So in order to create the world, recreate the world of Oakland, which you do so well, um, obviously music is a huge, huge mm -hmm. part of that. Um, so how early in the conception of the series were you talking about the score and which artist music you wanted to include? A lot of times I'll listen to music and I get images come to me. In this project, however, it's much more story-based at the beginning and we're just crafting characters and story arcs. Um, season two, we had four people in the writer's room, which was Josh Hilvey, me, Reina Maya, who plays Nina, and Dante Clark, who plays Marcus. And so the four of us are really just crafting story, and music comes after that. And it definitely comes in the editing process where we kind of outline what is the scene about? Should this scene be composed or found music? That's the first decision. It's like, well, we, we have a limited budget, so we know we can't just, you know, just buy songs for every single scene. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a decision, too, about what type of music it's going to be, what could fit here, and see what we can get. And it comes a lot with um, in, the, in, the, in the editing process, and then we bring in our music supervisor, which is Dion Decibels. Mm -hmm. And we have a conversation with him about what could work. He brings options over. You know, he'll get a sense of what we want. Yeah. And then he'll do like a search and like pull from his knowledge and bring us like top five. We'll try them out. We'll place them. We'll talk about it. And it becomes, you know, like a. sometimes it's a long search. And sometimes, man, the first one he picked was just money. So yeah. it really depends. Tell me a little bit more about working with Dion Decibels. He's obviously a, a DJ and a pro producer. Has he supervised? Has he been a music supervisor on other projects before and that's how you knew? Or I'm not sure if he did it before or our series, but I've known him for a long time. You know, when a, you see a good DJ, he's curating spaces and moments, and yeah. it's a form of storytelling. And we definitely wanted this show to rep Oakland, you know, and mm -hmm. so we needed somebody who, you know, had a, a deep knowledge of the history of music here. Mm -hmm. he's, got, he's got that. And, yeah, in terms of his experience, I feel like he's always been around art spaces, too. I know he, he worked at some arts. He, he's been around, so... It's a lot of, I had a lot of trust that he could do it. And really it's just 
yeah, understanding story and like you talk to somebody and you kind of gauge if people understand how music can transmit emotion and fit into a, a certain moment in time. And he, he definitely got that. All of the music placement is so mm-hmm. is so effective in this series. So let's actually get right into the five songs that you All chose. Right. Um, there's more than five. There's way more than five <laughs> songs in the entire um, series soundtrack, obviously. Um, but you chose five, as was your assignment. And I think a logical place to start is with the show's theme. So that's Fantastic Negrito, Working Poor, from his 2017 album, The Last Days of Oakland. So you and I had talked a little bit about this before, and when I watched the intro to the series, I was immediately reminded of The Wire. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was clearly one of your references. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, and trying to decide how to do a title sequence um, with the editor, we sat down and we just talked about which ones we liked from what shows from way back, and we looked at tons of different ones. What we wanted to do is really uh, create a title sequence that felt Oakland and that highlighted the issues we were kind of addressing, right? So you go from, for example, uh, you know, fools doing donuts in East Oakland to Mm -hmm. an actual, you know, probably $12 donut in North Oakland. And that, that juxtaposition is what we were trying to go for. And the music then had to address that as well. And that song, Working Poor, is about, you know, it, it speaks about gentrification in a very Yeah, it, thematically, it's like perfect because yeah. it's about how hard it is to stay in Oakland, mm-hmm. even if you grew up here, which mm-hmm. is essentially what the series is about as well. Uh, assuming Fantastic Negrito didn't write the song for you guys, <laughs> how did you how did you find some, like, it just landed in your lap? It was just so perfect. Yeah, it was the timing, too. He had just, you know, won a Grammy. Um, he was hot. I had been listening to it before he won it, and I just love the the working poor. You know, I keep on knocking, but I can't get in. It's this mm-hmm. kind of struggle that that we all go through in a way, and in different ways. You can take it in very different ways. Like I keep on trying to make it, mm-hmm. and there's doors not opening for me, or I keep on trying to get to you, like get to people's heads, get to you know messaging, and it, it it's not getting through. Um, and it just fit perfectly. And I was like, oh, he's never going to let us do it. But a big shout out to everybody who put their music in this show because we are, you know, a low budget nonprofit web series. Yeah. And so nobody got paid what I wish we could pay them. Yeah. And everybody hooked it up. And, and it's a yeah, lot it's about astounding. Yeah, their belief in the show and just seeing eye to eye and just that, that Bay thing where, you know, we all... We all know that we got to hustle and we got to, you know, get each other's back. And so Fantastic Negrito, his crew were like, heard the idea, saw a rough cut, and they were like, oh, we love it. We're down. Put it. Awesome. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, we, we got to do it. And I just love the flavor of it, too. You know, it's, and it's a perfect, like, he's put other other songs in, in TV shows. Uh-huh. I think there's another title sequence out there. And so he's making music that really is very cinematic.
All right, so the next couple of songs you selected are from uh, the third episode of season two Mm -hmm. uh, when the character of Benny takes center stage. Benny has lived in Oakland since childhood, Mm -hmm. but he's actually undocumented from El Salvador Mm -hmm. um, and being threatened with deportation. Uh, So he decides to run for office against the sheriff who is trying to deport him. So let's play a little of this scene right here. Are you tired of being lied to and spied on? Tired of all the fear and fake promises to protect and serve? Maybe it's time we had a sheriff in town that's actually about that town business. Yes, so let the people know Benito. Hit him with the tagline, B. My name's Ben Ramirez and I'm running for sheriff. Support me, don't deport me. So in this scene, Benny is out campaigning in a food truck with Nina and his tias. Uh, and the song you scored this with is Soy Raca mm-hmm. um, by Los Racas, a Panamanian hip-hop duo based here in Oakland. Uh, tell us how you ended up choosing this song for the scene. This was Dion's contribution right off the bat. He was like, this song gets people hyped. You know, people are going to hear this and like, uh, you know. Oh, it's great. It's been earworming me all week, <laughs> all week, not in nice. a bad way. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, somebody gives you a first choice. I was like, cool, cool. Let's try. Okay. Let's try something else. And we always came, kept going back to it. It just works um, flavor wise. It works thematically like season two. We, we kept with like a lot of, you know, Oakland based music, but we wanted definitely to like, you know, Latinify it because mm-hmm. uh, the theme of it is a lot about Benny and his journey and, and kind of unveiling his undocumentedness and his Latino-ness in a way. And so Los Racas are dope in that way because they're, you know, they're Afro-Latinos, they're Panamanian, Oakland, very much Oakland though. Yeah. So it's a bicultural group, a bicultural song, and uh, it just fit. It has this kind of, you know, he's campaigning in a way that's very not traditional to the U.S., but very common for us South Americans where, like, sometimes people just get on a truck with a megaphone and, like, ride around the town, Yeah. you know, campaigning. That's what you do. And so Benny's doing that, and and those rakas have always had that vibe too, kind of like you know slanging tapes out the trunk kind of vibe, mm-hmm. and and that just works for the for the scene. The other thing that's great about that scene, um, and I feel like there's you know there's the, that the gener- you know passing on this sort of resistance gene from one generation to another, and Benny's uh, tias being resistance fighters in El Salvador. Um, and at one point he like sits on the ground and he's discouraged and he's like, I might as well quit. And she slaps him upside the head and says like, enough with this millennial caca. Uh-huh. I just, I don't know. Something about that is really great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we are big on kind of fighting historical amnesia. You know, a lot of times in the mm-hmm. U.S. you're like, oh, this is happening right now. It's never happened before. We, what do we do? And it's like folks have been struggling and figuring out ways to move forward from way back. And so Benny's drawing from his family's legacy, you know, of, of resistance abroad and then make, connecting the dots of, like, why people are immigrating. People are also just reacting to immigration, like, oh, it's happening right now. Oh, but, like, people aren't addressing most of the time the full picture of U.S. involvement uh, affecting these different countries uh, south of the border, uh, destabilizing those governments, causing people to be forced to migrate. 
And so it's a, a, a conversation that needs to be way more fleshed out and looked at, not just at the present moment, but like the history that's caused these situations to occur. Yeah, this certainly isn't a new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And this actually naturally leads us to the next song and the next band. It's a group that is near and dear to you, mm -hmm. a local Chilean exile band, Grupo Raiz. So this plays in the credits of the episode that we were uh, now talking about. Mm -hmm. So let's hear a little bit of that. Okay, so that was Cancion de Solidaridad con El, El Salvador, um, which can't think of anything more apropos with Benny being from El Salvador. Yeah. I assume that's why you chose it. Yeah, it was an easy pick, but also, so just some context about that group, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, Chileans, uh, tons of ex uh, Chileans were exiled after the military coup of 1973, September 11, 1973. A bunch landed in San Jose, then moved to the East Bay, and... Uh, kind of started gathering around uh, La Peña Cultural Center. And a lot of Chileans. In Berkeley. In Berkeley, yeah. yeah. And they actually founded La Peña with some allies. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so it was used as a meeting place, an organizing place, and also a place to kind of support the resistance movement. And they used culture, they used music as a organizing tool. And this band was formed, and they were really good. Um, and they kind of, you know, that's where my parents met at La Peña. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that music was always around me. Um, well, I left before well, before I was a year old to South America. But when I moved back in 1995, that was my family. You know, I arrived in this community that always at every barbecue had had music, had Andean music. And this is music of resistance. This is music that talks about what's going on. And so obviously, and solidarity being a, a huge factor in those communities, right? So it's not just about the Chilean struggle. Things were going on in Nicaragua, things were going on in El Salvador, yeah. things were going on in El Congo. And like music was written and, and sang to support and talk about that. And so obviously they had a song about El Salvador and it just felt, I don't know, like it felt super warm and fuzzy for me to put that song in there. So this was your choice directly? For sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not dissing Dion, but he, he didn't know this song. <laughs> neither did Josh, neither anybody yeah. else. This is like my... Uh, kind of, I was like, I want this, and it's just such a good juxtaposition to go from that episode ends with Nina um, ranting on a Twitter battle she's on, and just like kind of going over the top, and then we hit you with a, this Spanish, you know, late seventies like song from. It feels like it's from the Andes. Yeah, it's very folky. Yeah, um, the harmonies are beautiful. Because I don't speak Spanish, I'm wondering if you can tell me what the key lyrics are in the song. What what really speaks to you in the song lyrically? I love the the part where it says martillo, fusil y canto destruyendo dictaduras. So hammer, uh, rifle, and and song destroying dictatorships. And so you know mm. it's a very uh, you know, militant armed struggle was a thing for sure yeah. in that time period, and there was definitely a civil war going on in in El Salvador. And so, but, you know, it's, it's hammers, like working class, resistance, and song. And I feel like it just embodies a, a, 
working class popular movement. And um, it's that energy of the time just encapsulated in that little phrase. You chose a couple of songs from the season two finale, the thrilling conclusion to the sheriff's race between Benny and the incumbent Sheriff Laura. Uh, Finn finally confronts his family and their white privilege. And a little bit of a shift for Marcus, too, who's uh, been dealing with asthma and trying to figure out a way to take care of himself in the earth, uh, not to mention his uh, career dilemmas. So I love this parody of a drug cooking scene (laughs) that you made here. Obviously, uh, Marcus is not actually making drugs in the scene. He's making some kind of herbal herbal tincture or like a smoothie or something. Here's here's a little clip from episode seven. You want it to be candy? Gotta start with that A1. Watching Bubble. Balance gotta be just right. Always do that two to one. Feel me? Yeah, look at him. He cooking. Ooh, it's gonna have him hooked. And be cool. And the next thing, you just gotta let him, let him do his thing. Then you come up over here, get a nice little resin, bust these things down to little dime pieces. See, my uncle used to show me how to do this shit back in the day, but I wasn't really learning how to, you know what I mean? I saw him, but I didn't really know the game. What we're listening to there is uh, The Conscious Daughters, Something to Ride to, Funky Expedition, from their first studio album, Ear to the Street. That was 1993. Tell me why you wanted to talk about this song. Because I just love what we did in terms of uh, remixing that scene that, if you you know, too many movies in the 90s uh, dealing with urban youth have black folks cooking crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that scene has like been redone and redone so many times. and so I just wanted to flip it. And so in the scene, it's that scene is shot by shot a remix of Menace to Society. Where after Too Short uh, shows up. I haven't up, seen that movie in so long. Yeah. yeah. You know, Too Short shows up, he goes and buys some crack and starts cooking it. And that has a, a beat that drops that I think is NWA. Um, and so it has that, you know, that 90s slow funk. Yeah, super funky. Yeah. Yeah. And... That was Dion. You know, I was like, okay, this is what I'm trying to address and like play off of. What can we get that's like Oakland and kind of sounds like that? And boom. Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, that that scene works so good with that beat. It has that vibe that you just remember from those scenes. It works perfectly. Yeah. I wanted to ask you because you actually moved to Oakland, to North Oakland in the mm. mid nineties in nineteen ninety five. Mm. Were you at all were you instantly drawn to the local hip hop scene at the time? Uh yeah, I mean that's what my like I told you I had a community already here where those the children of those exiles were yeah. my cousins. Um I went to Berkeley High and I showed up and I had, you know, skinny jeans and colorful hoodie because I was coming from South America where rock and roll was a thing, you know, and yeah. I was, there was not, you know, everything back then arrived five years later. Yeah. So I feel like I heard MC Hammer when he was already done. But, <laughs> but I got here and, you know, I was, 
I was a fish out of water. I, I think I started the hipster movement in a way like 10 years before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all my friends were listening to Wu-Tang, to Outkast, to obviously Pac, um, and then Bay, Bay Sounds. And I started learning English by listening to hip-hop and being around, going to shows. La Peña had tons of hip-hop back then, um, local bands, Living Legends, The Coop. They were all up in there. And yeah, I mean, that's you, you show up a teenager and you're, you see what's happening around you. Those are my friends listening to hip hop, and I definitely became a hip hop head pretty yeah. soon. <laughs> still like this, coming to myself if you're fine, you make kiss the miss with the bomb. I never stress no tension, come kick it with the daughters as we take you on a funky expedition. All right, speaking of the coup, you mentioned the coup. Uh, we finally come to your last song. This one closes out episode seven, uh, and it closes out the season, so you know you had to go big mm -hmm. with the coup. We want to thank you for flying with us. We know you could have stayed home, just cried and cussed. Mail your guns go off if it's time to bust. Mail their tanks have time to rust. They got the armies turning bullets into gold. They got the hookers turning tricks into coal. And every time the police kicks in the dough, an angel gas breaks dips in the O. All right, that's the guillotine from their 2012 album, Sorry to Bother You, not to be confused with the soundtrack to the film. And you've already talked about this. What I love is you have this really strong revolutionary streak throughout the whole series, but especially in season two. Boots Riley was obviously involved in the series. He cameos as the polar bear. Um, and the lyrics of this song, The Guillotine, uh, it's like an unambiguous battle cry, right? It's uh, the guillotine, I don't think I have to explain, from the, the imagery of the guillotine from the French Revolution. Um, what do you think this song says about the series, the season and the series? Yeah, the, the whole arc of the show is um, these characters figuring out how they can better themselves in order to be better participants in the community and in the struggle around them. And so it's a big call to looking inward. Each character has their arc. And it ends with Nina, for example, figuring out how to use her, her level of fame and power to really gather the community behind the issue mm -hmm. that is Benny's deportation. And the final showdown of this show um, the whole community comes together and stands up against the sheriff and their, you know, crew. And so this song is that, you know, it's, it's us against them on mm -hmm. a call. It's, um, and you hear it in the chorus, right? The chorus is multiple voices and it's just uh, a big crowd singing. Like, I love this part. They got the TV, we got the truth. They own the judges and we got the proof. We got hella people, they got helicopters, they got the bombs, and we got, we got, we got the gear. Like that for me is just, uh, nah, that embodies the whole energy that I hope people leave the show with. Yeah. What a way to go out. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more, like you have these five songs. What other what other bands or songs are you really proud of or like really stellar that you're, uh, what are the ones that you're like really proud of having them placed in your series? 
Uh, there's this band called Las Cafeteras from LA. Um, I met these folks playing soccer like phew, 10 years ago uh, when they were actually first just jumping into music and they're a group of organizers, um, Chicanos from LA, um, dope folks, organizers and musicians. And they blew up there and they, they sing protest music also and they're in there. I love having them and repping them as like my community being represented. Um, the Bumps was a group that I loved when I came to the Bay and I started learning. And, you know, I think people have forgotten about these folks, but that was a good group. Um, David Diggs has a song in there. I went to high school with David. Um, so I like that he's blown up and he's he's doing big things. Yeah. Um, there's Cumbia in there. I just like the flavors. Really, ultimately, what I really like musically about season two is that we have this really dope mix of... English and Spanish Bay music. Yeah. You know, we have Bang Dada. We have um, Brown Buffalo. You know, this is like Latin hip hop um, and fusion hip hop. Um, and we got Mac Dre. And that's to me amazing that we were able to get the anthem of Mac Dre's like whole. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now I'm going to ask you the obvious question. Season three, when can we expect that? <laughs> um, that is a mystery. <laughs> and I have no clear answer regarding that. But if you're out there and you um, got access to some money and some resources, <laughs> come through, let me know. We'll make it. Well, I'm I'm rooting for you. I'm Thank rooting you. for you for sure. All right. The North Pole. Please watch the series now. You can binge it real quick. Trust me. Go to thenorthpoleshow.com. Unfortunately, there is no official soundtrack album for the North Pole, but we'll include a list of all the songs in the show notes. Thank you so much, Yvonne. Thank you. That was dope. It's that time in the show when we turn to our landlord, so to speak, Barshiru's <laughs> co-owner and musical director, DJ Daniel Gar. He's here to share a couple of choice albums from the Bars Collection. Dan, what have you got for us today? Hi, Pam. Hi. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Uh, this week, I've got uh, a new record by Casa Overall. Uh, he's a drummer, producer, DJ, vocalist. Uh, he's kind of been uh, a session guy and a touring drummer for a lot of contemporary jazz artists mm -hmm. um, and was actually the... DJ for John Batiste and Stay Human on the Late Show for a while, but oh, he, uh, Stephen Colbert's show, correct? Yeah. And uh, he left that to focus on uh, his own music, and this is his first solo album. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really interesting, diverse record. I, you know, I, I would say like the most easily recognizable kind of influences are jazz, hip-hop, and, mm -hmm. like, sample-based collage electronic music. Mm -hmm. It just, to me, is, is like a microcosm of what we talk about as, quote-unquote, jazz at Barshiru. Like, this melding mm -hmm. of all these influences, creating okay. something new and interesting. And my favorite track on this record is called My Friend. My Oh, 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 oh. Come on, 
starts with this killer beat and bass line that uh, it kind of reminds me of something that could have been like a late 90s massive attack b-side or like a introducing outtake mm. um, but then he layers on top of it like these super jazzy and melodic piano lines and uh, the guest on the track is Ardo Lindsay yeah who plays no guitar wave, uh, no wave New York uh, guitarist yeah. exactly yeah. which is like on paper, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but he adds this like really crunchy guitar line and uh, some kind of spoken word-esque vocals. And uh, yeah, again, it's kind of emblematic of like all of these seemingly disparate elements putting together to create something uh, unique and definitely sounding like it's his. Yeah. I, and, but you definitely hear the influences and the nods there. I think it's in prison and pharmaceuticals. There's a riff in there that is from uh, Wind Parade. Hmm. By uh, Donald Bird. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I did not catch that. Yeah. Show up on stage like what's the commotion where my ancestors. Well, yeah, great, great record. Um, tough to find on vinyl, but, uh, you know, easily accessible on the streaming sites so. yeah well how did you get a copy they had it over at Bandcamp uh again and and they were having a hard time getting it because there just wasn't a, a they uh, just didn't press that many they didn't press that many okay. so um if you find it definitely grab it yeah well you, looks like you got a little collector's item there So album number two. Uh, album number two is Tim Maya. He's a uh, Rio de Janeiro born Brazilian funk and soul, a little bit of rock and mm-hmm. roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the album Nobody Can Live Forever, The Existential Soul of Tim Maya. That's right. Yeah, it came. This is a compilation. Mm-hmm. Um, so this came out in 2012 on uh, the label that David Byrne founded. Yeah. Luca Bop. And I, I actually didn't know much about Tim Maya when I got this record. It's, you know, part of the World Psychedelic Classics series that has the William Anyabor album and, mm-hmm. and a few others. And he's just, a, Tim Maya is just a really kind of interesting character. He has uh, a crazy life story. Crazy life story. Just some like quick tidbits. Yes. 18 siblings. Yeah. Uh, came to the U.S. in the 60s to go to school, but then got deported Back to Brazil for because marijuana, of drugs. Yeah. marijuana yeah. possession. Yeah, joined a cult. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, one of his he was under contract with RCA, and he had written all the instrumentals for this double album. And then after he joined the cult, he ended up writing the lyrics to that record that were all about the cult. <laughs> and RCA was like, "No, we're not putting that out." So he bought the master recordings to that and uh, released it himself. But he also, he put out a bunch of records, but 10 of his records are just titled Tim Maya. Oh. <laughs> this is like, no, there's no like Tim Maya 3, Tim Maya 7. It's like, nope. So you records. just have to identify by you the cover. You just have to know what, yeah. yeah. And a lot of them have the same or the year. photo on the yeah. cover. Oh, really? So it's like really, 
So I appreciate the compilation for mining through all of those. Uh, yeah, he has a lot records. of material, and and this compilation is great. What is your Star Trek? I want to. I'm I'm trying to see if it's the same as mine. Okay, so I, there there were a couple that were in in the zone, and I don't know. There's just the Brazilian funk and soul runs so thick through this. It's just like I don't know. It feels really like sunshiny but also feel, dance if, music. If you didn't tell me that he was Brazilian, yeah. you might not know. In some of the songs, you might not know. At true, all. true. Um, but the one that I really love is uh, O Camino do Bem. O Camino do Bem. Super funky, but like really laid back too. And that's where I feel like the Brazilian influence is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very like Jorge Ben and Brazil 66 and not quite as bossa nova as the Sergio Mendes stuff, but um, yeah, great bass line. And there's this, there's a clavinet part that kind of just sits in the background the whole time. And I fucking love the clavinet. I love the clavinet too. I mean, it's, I think, a pretty underutilized keyboard. Uh, and just this, that sound is just so funky. It's a little bit like, gra- it's a little bit of growl. Um, and it also has a little bit of like that Rhodes electric piano sound. I don't know. It's just super funky. So that lays in the background. Um, but yeah, it's just super, it's just, it's just a great like sunshine music track. Like yeah. you could dance to it. You could drop it poolside. You can, you know, just vibe out to it while drinking a lovely cocktail by the pool is just like kind of perfect yeah what's your what's your cut well my cut is um so i love the you know the more brazilian flavored stuff on here um but i am really drawn to like the songs where like he's obviously very influenced by american music american soul and r&b um to me i really love brother father mother sister yeah that's a that's that's a heavy cut please don't put your children on initiation there's no heaven there's no god cause there's no devil there's no hell mother every time i call you home you are in church I like I like that song so much, uh, and you know his vocal delivery, his vocal phrasing, um, kind of it reminds me very much of English pub rocker Graham Parker. Mm. He his his singing style is almost exactly the same to me, um, and I don't I, I don't think I picked up on that the first few times that I heard it, but the more I listened to it, I kept saying to myself, "This reminds me of someone else." Who is it? And mm. then it dawned on me that it was Graham Parker, who I also uh, really uh, appreciate. So, um, so yeah, that one I love a lot too. But nice. I, the whole thing is really good. Yeah, um, it really is from front to back. This is such a good, such a good compilation. The other, I, my top two, uh, my second one is Doleme El Pontal, and it's just like this, like 
it's almost like a like low BPM disco cut. Okay. But it's kind of like got it's like an acoustic guitar riff. It's just like super happy and fun. Although I've again, I don't speak Portuguese, so I don't know what the lyrics are. Yeah. And so many, you know, the, the existential soul of Tim Maia, so many of his lyrics are like existentially based, like, you know, you don't live no one lives forever, things like that, mm-hmm. you know. So I have no idea if it's as happy as sunny as the music makes it appear, but uh, I dig it anyway. Yeah, I dig it too. All right, thanks, Dan, so much for sharing your hot tips as always. You can hear these two fine records and many, many others in their full high-fidelity glory on the Barshiru sound system. And thanks to Ivan Ituriaga for chatting with me today about the North Pole soundtrack. That's it for this episode of Select 5, but if you're dying to listen to any of the songs we discussed in their entirety, be sure to follow our Spotify playlist. We've got a link up on our website, select5podcast.com, or follow us on Instagram at select5, or on Twitter at select5show. Our producer is Kate Sullivan. Technical producer is Brian Douglas. Graphic design by Tim Palmer. Our recording studio is Bar Shiru, located at 1611 Telegraph Avenue. Follow them on Instagram at Bar Shiru Oakland. Until next time, I'm Pam Torno, signing off. Peace.